Welcome everybody. Uh, thank you for uh, coming this afternoon uh, to this uh, Institute for Government event in partnership with uh, Midlands Connect. We're really grateful to uh, Midlands Connect for um, uh, working with us on this uh, event, which should be uh, really uh, interesting. Uh, we're here to uh, talk about uh, levelling up, of course, um, and uh, infrastructure investment and how uh, that can contribute to the slogan of the moment, uh, although we might get in a few Build Back Betters and uh, uh, and getting the job done as well, I hope. Um, uh, it's a public event, it's uh, on the record. There will be um, a couple of uh, IFG staff members around uh, taking photographs and things, so please let them know if you'd rather uh, not be uh, photographed. You can see the hashtags at the back uh, there, so uh, feel free to use those, uh, get uh, tweeting, uh, and uh, we will get uh, underway. Um, my name's Alex Thomas. Uh, I'm Programme Director at the Institute for Government. My beat is Civil Service and uh, policy making and anything else that uh, crosses our desks. And I am delighted that we have a fantastic uh, panel uh, today. To my uh, left is Baroness Via. Um, she's a minister at the Department for uh, Transport, uh, has been so since April 2019. Um, before that was a government whip and uh, has been a chief executive finance director um, and uh, executive director of the Girls' Schools Association. Um, to her left is uh, Julian Glover, a journalist, infrastructure advisor, um, uh, he's been associate editor at the Evening Standard, uh, special advisor at the Department for Transport, um, uh, and uh, has worked on various things, including uh, a review for the government of the national parks. Uh, to my right, uh, Ben uh, Bradley, MP, MP for Mansfield, uh, since the 2017 general election, um, uh, also uh, district councillor and group leader for the Conservative uh, group uh, in uh, uh, Nottingham County Council, I got that right, um, and uh, chair of the Blue Collar Conservatives. And then uh, finally, uh, <clears throat> uh, Maria uh, Machenkosis, who is Chief Executive of uh, Midlands Connect um, and uh, has been uh, has 20 years of transport experience, number of senior um, posi positions across a broad range of uh, areas related to transport strategy, planning, environment and uh, infrastructure. So really pleased to have a fantastic panel, really pleased to see so many of you uh, here today. Uh, and I was going to start the conversation, uh, really, with a few questions to the panel. Uh, we'll then uh, uh, see where that takes us, um, but leave plenty of time at the end for questions from all of you. So I will try and get to those uh, as soon as we can. Um, but Baroness Veer, to start with, uh, how do you see transport projects levelling up the country? How's it going to work and what are your priorities as a minister uh, in the DFT? Well, thank you very much and thank you very much for everyone too, uh, for coming here today. Um, because I was having a look at my Twitter and Neil O'Brien has helpfully done, done a four bullet point thing <laughs> about what levelling up is and it doesn't mention transport. So I'm absolutely <laughs> gutted <laughs> because the reality is we can have no levelling up at all unless we have good transport. So it's all very well restoring you know, pride in local place and building nice things and creating social and economic opportunities uh, for, for people. But if you can't get there, it's pointless having them. So levelling up has actually always been part of what I do in the Department of Transport. Um, I have been in, in place for, for two and a half years. I'm really pleased to be reappointed in the reshuffle because I think having some knowledge about this is incredibly helpful. And of course, I shepherded in the uh, bus strategy, which was a huge piece of work and broadly welcomed across the country. And I think it provides a really good foundation for where we're going to go uh, in the future. So, you know, I do roads, buses and places and, and people always look at the places bit and sort of slightly snigger. And I know it's funny, but you know what? I didn't want to be roads, buses and devolution because that's even more dull. But the places part of what I do is becoming ever more important because whether it is uh, improving bus services, whether it is improving active travel, uh, whether it is improving uh, road schemes, all of those have to be driven locally because we as national government cannot define exactly what you need in every single part of the country. We can provide funding and of course we're very fortunate that we do have a substantial amount of funding to, to invest. And what we, we need is to work very closely with local partners um, within the guidance that we can set out from the Department for Transport to, to be able to fund really good transport projects. Now I know that from a local government perspective, um, transport has actually been perhaps deprioritised a little bit recently. Um, I think capacity and capability within local transport authorities is going to be absolutely <coughs> key. So I'm looking forward to working with local transport authorities to really focus uh, on key projects. Um, and obviously, you know, it will level up because that's what transport <coughs> does, because transport is the ultimate uh, enabler. So that's it for me for the moment. 
Sounds pretty good. Um, uh, uh, you did promise you'd, you could talk for four hours about this, yeah. which made me very twitchy, but um, uh, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, I mean, Ben, you're, a, you're a, a UK MP, but as I said, you're also kind of grounded in local um, uh, government and uh, your uh, community. So I thought I'd open by asking you about the sort of the, the national local side of this. How do we get the balance right? How do we um, uh, how do we tackle local needs as well as the sort of big national uh, mega project? Yeah, well, I, I effectively run the, the Highways Authority, I suppose. So really um, pertinent to what Charlotte said there in terms of that capacity and ability to plan and the ability to have those off-the-shelf kind of proposals to put in when that funding is there because that capacity is is challenging. Um, I, I'm really pleased to hear that uh, about the, the local element. It has to be locally led. And I think that's where uh, we can make a real impact, certainly in the East Midlands. We've got proposals we would take forward to government and we would share with government in terms of what we want to achieve, both uh, transport, rail connectivity and integrated rail plan, um, you know, devolution and development corporations and all sorts of proposals led by our local priorities. Um, and government hopefully listens to that rather than tries to, to impose something top down. I think um, the, the disparities kind of start when it comes to transport. If you look at um, the East Midlands as an area where, uh, in terms of funding, I mean, London, I think is something on, in the region of £700 a head. Uh, for transport infrastructure annually, East Midlands £168. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to uh, figure out uh, maybe people aren't as able to get around, aren't as able to connect to jobs in particular, uh, and in a very disparate part of the country where um, it's not a big city, it's not somewhere you can walk a couple of miles to all of these um, services. It's very spread out, it's very rural. We've got lots of towns and uh, different cities with different demographics and, and issues. So uh, that infrastructure spending is hugely important, not just transport, but actually across all of those job creating kind of mechanisms. I mentioned the development corporation there, the ability to um, bring forward commercial sites, create jobs that people can access that are better than you know the sheds on the side of the M1 that we currently have in the region. Uh, kind of longer term, better paid, careers, I think that's the, the key to levelling up. How do you create those jobs? And then how do you create the links, both transport and uh, digital infrastructure, so that local people can go and access them, particularly in those most disadvantaged communities? And that brings in a whole other um, area of work around skills and how we support them to, to access those opportunities. But um, all of that certainly needs to be locally led based on what are our issues in our area uh, and what are our local solutions. I think we've certainly got uh, local plans and local um, solutions to, to put into government through levelling up funds, through towns funds um, and through these big national projects, integrated rail plan uh, and other spending review. Um, and we hope that government will listen. I think Neil uh, and um, Baroness Fear are talking the right language from my perspective. Yeah, Great. Thank you, uh, Ben. We'll come back to a number of those uh, points. Interesting your, your take on uh, how the government's doing on that, sort of the, 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 the prospects for success. But Ben teed up. Ben talks a lot about skills and about jobs, and a lot of this, this is about um, uh, jobs in the end. Uh, Julian, good to get your take on the sort of the people, the the passengers, the users uh, in uh, in all of this, and and how can uh, major projects and uh, uh, investment in infrastructure build in the needs of you know, real people on the ground. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry that Neil hasn't mentioned transport because as special advisors, he and I fought a long fight to get rid of pacer trains and uh, we've got a ministerial direction to do that. Neil, Neil's commitment to this subject is, is huge and we can talk about trains forever. Uh, but there is a risk with infrastructure, which is quite an alienating word, that it's, it's a big expensive thing that's done to people over massively long periods. It doesn't feel like part of everyday life <clears throat> and it's sort of in steel and concrete and glorious national plans. And it's done to people, not for people. And it, maybe it's a bit of a cliche to say put the people at the centre, but we do need to think about how it works with the society that exists, with the places that exist. It's not about smashing everything and changing everything. And that, that's true in the South, and it's true in the North as well. And there is a danger that, of a sort of before and after discussion of levelling up, which is the North was terrible, the Midlands had all these problems, and then one day things are built and it all becomes glorious. And the reality is, you know, I live in the Midlands, um, got a train up here today it was pretty good a bit slow from, from Buxton but it's a lot better than it used to be um, there's huge amounts of strength and possibility in the Midlands and the North already um, this is about identifying the weaknesses finding the things that are missing getting to join stuff up better and think about networks think about connections think about the way people live and what they want uh, and sometimes when you know even as, as a fan of high speed too it, it can feel like if that's the only thing that infrastructure is or if East West and the powerhouse becomes the next new big infrastructure thing. Uh, you forget the individual and the local. Um, so the buses strategy is a really good example of beginning to show something uh, that can begin to connect people and does happen fast and feels like it's useful to their lives. But there's one other 
thing that matters for people and infrastructure too, which is it isn't just a practical thing or an economic thing rooted in BCR and lots of numbers. It's also about identity, pride, a sense of place. I mean, we're in, or nearly in, one of the great Victorian railway stations, so the sort of structures that were built to, to show the, the power and the strength of the North. This one would have had a train to Derbyshire, but sadly it was closed uh, by Barbara Castle in, in 1967, so you can't get the train to Derbyshire anymore. But, but the, the, the importance of that identity and emotion in infrastructure, it's why this is much more, transport is a much more exciting subject than just building things in concrete. It's a part of how we live our lives, how we connect human beings, how we identify ourselves as a country and as a place. And that's why it will always be at the core of levelling up, to show the sense of pride in the North. It's not just about the absolute amount of spending, as Ben says, it's not always equal, but it's also in the outcomes, the sense of respect and quality. And it's why that pacer train battle was so important, because the pacers felt like these were the sort of bus-like trains. If you're not a train spotter, they're, they're, they, they were sort of buses on wheels that were falling to pieces and leaked. Um, and if that was what the North got as transport, it showed something wrong with our society. Uh, I wrote a, a biography of great early engineer, Thomas Telford, um, who helped build some of the first infrastructure in Britain, but he didn't know that word. And he did it with an explicitly emotional, political purpose. It wasn't just an economic tool. It was about pride, identity, design, aesthetics, and, and a love of place. And if we can get that right into our infrastructure, we really will help people feel part of what's being done for them rather than just imposed on their lives by some remote force. Brilliant. Th thanks, Julian. Outstanding local knowledge. All specific questions about um, uh, the old Manchester Railway buildings and uh, routes closed otherwise will be directed in that, uh, in that direction. <clears throat> um, uh, th th thank you for that. And I, I also wonder whether the, the word sort of infrastructure hides rather than reveals mm. a little bit in this, even though it's in the title of our uh, uh, event t today. It, so it was first used yeah. in the House of Commons by Winston Churchill in the 1950s. The word didn't yeah. exist before then. Yeah. Uh, and it was always seen as a military thing. It, it was nothing to do with transport until quite recently. Fascinating. Well, there we go. Uh, lots, lots to learn already. Um, uh, Maria, I'm going to uh, ask you to be the pessimist, uh, which I sense doesn't doesn't sit with your general um, uh, general approach. But what what might go wrong? Um, uh, what uh, how can the government avoid making mistakes? And what are the what are the pitfalls in all of this? So I think um, the point that you made about how we associate infrastructure with people and places is hugely important. I mean, the Midlands at the moment we're already experiencing the construction of one of the biggest infrastructure projects in you know in, in decades really so um if you go to the west midlands it's already happening hs2 you know and the whole vibration of birmingham city preparing and celebrating the arrival of hs2 it really is phenomenal if you're not being please go and see it it's it's so that's my positive so i stand on it <laughs> but you know uh, what we need to do is to to make sure that national infrastructure projects work locally um and we need to make sure that we utilize them so they don't just deal with transport they actually deal with a much wider um, uh, social and economic agenda. And that's why HS2 is so important for these Midlands and the North at the moment, and what's gonna happen to HS2, because a lot of um, planning and effort and buying from businesses in the, in the arrival of HS2, it's, it's there. Um, so, so in terms of going into more of the pessimist, if we don't have certainty, you're not allowing and empowering places to plan and to prepare for the arrival of an infrastructure project. So certainty is extremely important, and that's why we do want uh, government to make a, a decision in the integrated rail plan sooner rather than later, because um, then people and leaders like Ben can know what the plan is, what's the vision, and they can prepare the town and places accordingly. Um, so certainty is gonna be really important. Another angle on infrastructure, and that links directly to leveling up, is how government is going to now make sure that the funding mechanisms, the support that government, because this is not only government, private sector has got a role to play, um, but you know we need to stop these short-term funding programs, this competitive bidding process. You know, at the <coughs> moment in the Midlands, we see those have got the capacity and the capabilities to bid. They do well. They secure the funding. In other areas that are not so equipped, they they just fell through the net. So leveling up and particularly on areas of new technology, like digital, like decarbonisation, EV charging infrastructure. You don't want to just 
always favor the good ones, the big cities that are really there. They got the resource and the capabilities to be successful in that space. So moving forward, we would like to see government a bit more, a more holistic approach, a more pragmatic approach about how they're going to support every corner of England and the UK really in general in, in these areas, in these spaces where people actually can see a result you know, on the street every day rather than just this big or only this big transport project. So leveling up is going to be really important. Uh, any policy, any funding programs that government go about it. I will say a massive difference would be stop the short term bidding uh, for funding programs. Um, let's make sure that everybody has got access to, to these very important agendas. So yeah, okay. so long term, long term, pragmatic, tangible. Totally, totally. Picking up the long-term point, we're expecting a white paper on levelling up or whatever it's going to be uh, called. Um, I mean, obvious question, maybe to Ben, to you first, what do you, what do you want to see in it? Lots. Um, <laughs> I think we've, we've made a good start in terms of some kind of uh, investment in particular. I've mentioned towns from the levelling up fund, opportunities to bid in North Knots, a very disadvantaged part of the country. We've had 130-odd million quid out of that. It's really positive and we'll make good use of that. That's not in itself a long-term shift. That you know, nice shiny things are great, and it will make a difference. But the, to me, the white paper is where that long-term um, kind of joined-up part of, of how do you pull it all together: the, the funding, the skills element, the jobs element, uh, the health inequalities, hugely important factors that all need to form part of that long-term leveling up plan. If it's going to be a genuine um, game changer in terms of, of disadvantaged communities in particular, uh, which to me is what it's all about. So I want to see as uh, formulate some of that funding into exactly what Maria said, a longer term uh, approach to, to strategic priorities as to where that funding is going instead of a ad hoc, you've got two months to stick a, a bid in for whatever it may be, because as a, uh, a local authority, pulling stuff like that together in a short period of time is a nightmare. Uh, and very often, as Maria said again, you know, the places who have the least capacity to do that are all the places who most need uh, that funding and support when it comes down to it. So long term approach to that. I think skills is hugely important uh, if we're going to um, take advantage of, of whatever investment, um, you know, totem is really important to us in the integrated rail plan. Job creation is why, not necessarily the rail bit, but if we're going to take advantage of those jobs, uh, accessing skills and training to, for, so it's the most disadvantaged communities who can take them rather than people moving in from cities and coming and taking them from, from other places. <laughs> so tying all that together, frankly, it's got to be uh, a coherent message that explains what it is we're trying to achieve because although there is uh, some good stuff, some good funding, so far, particularly skills, I think we're making real progress on, it's not joined up in the way that you would like to see. And that makes it really difficult to explain to people when they come and say, what's leveling up about? Mm -hmm. um, I won't ask you to uh, <laughs> announce uh, what the government's going to do in the white paper or anything else, but I am interested in implicit in what Ben was saying, there's a sort of how the government takes these decisions, the kind of governance, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the structure within which those decisions are are taken. I mean, do you think that's important? Do you think there's uh, something new and, and different the, the way the government can go about um, uh, taking investment and other decisions? There absolutely is. When I, because uh, I originally started as aviation minister and then got booted out of that job within about three months, uh, and, and and was given roads, and I was like, oh really? <laughs> um, but it's brilliant. I mean, I literally have the best job in the Department of Transport because, of course, I do not only roads, buses, um, this places thing, so I do light rail, everything in between. And one of the things that I remember sitting uh, for an entire weekend going through all of the funding streams mm. and the pots <laughs> and the bids, and I just sat there and went, this is insane. Um, and we've managed to get ourselves into an insanely complicated uh, 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 different sets of funding streams, you know, some formula funding, some competitive funding. But of course, you can see why the government actually does need to do it, because um, there is a risk that we uh, don't get the best value for the taxpayers' money if everything is formula funded, because some places, like it or not, are less ambitious and do not do as well as we would expect with government funding. So what we've got to come, try and come up with, and one of the things that I would hope uh, we will see in the levelling up uh, white paper is a greater sort of focus on how we can uh, do some sort of multi-year, multimodal, integrated funding, uh, some with formula, uh, some with uh, com competition, because necessarily competition is a good thing sometimes, but if you've got uh, quite significant sums of money to get out there, 
Because what we've got to try and do is drive integrated local transport plans. They kind of, I mean, that doesn't sound sexy anyway, but, you know, they have become less sexy and they've got to be sexed up. It is time for local transport plans to really take the lead, to look at an area's uh, development opportunities, both social and economic development, and then think really clearly about how you're going to weave in decarbonisation plan, road space allocation, your cycling, your walking, dare I say it, hauliers. You know, I'm afraid, you know, we've got to figure out. They have quite a tough time, as we know. Um, they've got to make sure that they have places not only to park, but places to drop off the goods to the high street. We can't keep our high streets going. We've got nowhere to drop off the goods because we've converted everything into a bus lane. Love bus lanes. But we need local leadership within a local transport plan to think about how all these things are going to be working together. And I hear it again and again from local authorities, multi-year is really, really important. I can absolutely see why it drives capital efficiencies. It means that they can plan for the long term. And that's exactly what I want to see. Great. And uh, Julian, who first used the phrase integrated uh, local transport plan in the House of Commons? <laughs> uh, it was probably John Prescott, but I will talk, check. Talk to, us about, yeah. talk to us about integration. Or, Everybody or loves integration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first, on the white paper, I mean, the first thing is, is, is like these days I think you've got to say it at a Tory conference, government doesn't have all the answers. Um, it can show leadership, it can do some big stuff, it can set strategy, it can put money into the right things, but it won't all be done by government. And it's not just a case however brilliant your funding pots are, and I, and I remember those days, it's a nightmare um, trying to get through that stuff. You end up with governance, which costs more than the actual money that's being awarded in the end. There's very little trust. You can never just say, here's £50,000, do something good with it. You have to have a £100,000 assurance programme to make sure the £50,000 is spent well. But anyway, government won't do it all, and nor even will local government, good though lots of people in local government are. Loads of great stuff is just done by people and organisations and businesses and groups and all sorts of things. We need a bit more trust that things will happen that we don't always control. Um, and that might link to a second thing. I think a white paper has got to show some action quickly. There's no good having a white paper that talks about very long-term targets. The danger of white papers is it becomes a step on the way to something not happening rather than speeding it up. I, I imagine the Neil O'Brien, Michael Gove uh, sort of duo will, will drive some of this through quickly. So we will see some, some action, but get things going. Um, a third quick thing is like make you know on the big stuff make some plans and stick to them so we kind of need to know what's happening on the eastern leg of hs2 uh, i think it's really good to ask questions about it i'm not saying it should just be built as it is um but i keep reading stories in the newspaper that it's going this way and that way and next week it'll be like this and the weather might change again kind of as ben says you know people need to know what's going to happen at totem you can't expect businesses to invest if they're not sure in birmingham in the center of the west midlands there is clarity and therefore there's action so you know, the onus is on government to shape some of the things it can do itself. And then the final thing, I think, is think about knowledge and data and information and real-time kind of experience of joining up digital networks, beginning to understand the situation. It's no good trying to level up based on ONS data from four years ago or census data from X years ago. We can begin to bring knowledge together and identify things that can be done fast and gaps and, and, and start to work out where we're going to spend money, where we're going to enhance capacity. So it will be a digital thing as much as a physical thing. And if we get that right, uh, we will see some action uh, before 2030. The standard thing in, in, in politics, I remember at the DFT, was always, you know, in 10 years' time, something will be happening. And then 10 years on, more or less, since I arrived there, it's some of the same talk, talk is, is still underway. Uh, we, we, could, we can do better than that. that. Sounds familiar for my time. I mean, uh, training of the panel, really. Uh, quick, quick action, then. So a, a call for quick action as well as long-term uh, thinking. What would, what would you do? Where there's a plan, let's tick a box and get on with it. Are we talking about the, the kind of East Midlands elements of it? We're going to government and saying, here's our plan for a, a development corporation that can create 85,000 jobs. This is how it will work. This is what we need. We're going, here's our plan for a freeport that will do this. And this is what we need. This is what it will deliver. Uh, similarly, HS2, this is the regional connectivity we need around Toten. This is what it will cost. Can we get on with it, please? And it's always just a case of uh, having to keep making that case to different departments and get around all around the houses and explain it over and over again. Whereas sometimes I think we just need to go, you know what, if there is good local leadership and a good local plan, as I think we've got uh, uh, in our region, that everybody across the region buys into, then let's, for God's sake, get on with it. Uh, and there's only so many boxes uh, that need ticking, particularly those things. This autumn, I think over the course of the next four weeks, decisions will be taken on all of those things. Uh, and then we can really motor, but we just need that certainty. And, and uh, uh, the clout and the drive from government to just let us go and do. And are you starting to get that? I hope so. Um, I think we're, we're moving in a, a better direction. As I say, things are coming to a head this autumn from our perspective in terms of key decisions, integrated rail plans, spending review, uh, Freeport business cases, all going in between now and Christmas. And if we can tick those boxes, as I say, and if government can give us almost permission, 
to go and get on with it, then locally we can drive that and we can deliver that. But we do need that kind of permission in the first instance. So as I say, where there are plans that are good and that are tested and have clear positive outcomes, I think government, as you say, doesn't have all the answers. Uh, take our answers and let us let us go and do them. Clear, uh, clear plea for um, for some uh, freedom and certainty. Um, Maria, I mean, quick, quick wins, but also building on what Julia said about data and um, uh, information. And to sort of totally, and, and and I have to say, one of the things that we like about Midlands Connect is the investment that government is doing in Midlands Connect itself. So, so, so let's not, you know, let's not uh, underestimate the amount of um, support that we're getting from government. In, in preparing for, you know, integrating things, in prioritizing. So Midlands Connect, for those who are not aware, we've been set up to actually research, develop, you know, talking about data, what priorities are for the Midlands uh, to bring the Midlands closer together to help on economic and social sort of agendas. So uh, we, we, we now know how we want to make the most of HS2, how we con want to connect to it, how that supports the development cooperation, the three ports proposals, but also we are seriously in that stage when transport sector don't it, it, believe you me we're now challenging all our knowledge based on the current data you know covid has radically changed how we're going to see mobility and not just transport but mobility in the future so we have taken it quite seriously again with the support from uh, baroness and the department what what is it that we can do to help government to accelerate some of that intelligence and that knowledge of how we're going to shape our transport network and actually how people are going to go about moving in the future. Um, one of the big, and I'll give you a big example. We've just published uh, supercharging the Midlands report. Um, so it's not just big infrastructure. We know EV charging infrastructure is going to be hugely important. Um, so we have actually identified that for the rest of the decade, the Midlands needs 11 public charging points delivered every day to meet the demand if we want to encourage you know, that transition to EV and the Midlands is super, you know, keen on uh, EV or manufacturing base. You know, we've got Jaguar and Rover, we've got Toyota, we've got, um, you know, big manufacturers that are working with us. We want to make that a success. So lots of things. The agenda is huge. Um, and we in the Midlands are really working hard together across the whole Midlands to help government make those really important decisions. And they're not just long term, the things that can take place and make a difference. So data, knowing what's, what's the gap what's on the ground and how we can work together to accelerate the pace, because that's what a lot of people out there want. They want pace, not just white papers. Um, it's something that we're very committed to do to support Baroness Mia and her team. I mean, pace is, pace is great. Um, mm. And when we published our national bus strategy, which somebody had the bright idea of calling bus back better. <laughs> we, we all saw. <laughs> it was not we all me, <laughs> false. We all know who it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows who it was. Anyway, never mind. We're going to move swiftly on from that. Um, but you know, we've got this thing in the, in 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 the bus strategy where we uh, you know said we wanted um, BSIPs, the bus service improvement plans, by the end of October. And I have had some local councils come back to me and go, "What? Oh no! Well, we've got our full council on the on the fourth of September. It won't be ready by then." And you're like, "Well, we need a little bit more agility in local government." I'm not saying that. I'm not casting aspersions on the whole of local government. Of course I'm not. But some councils we, are excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and some councils are superb. And this is this is the, the, the yeah. issue I have. And actually, I'm not worried about most of them. They're all going to be brilliant. They're going to come up with great BSIPs, which have gone through full council and whatever needs to happen. But there will be some that I will look at and it will be not where we want it to be. So although pace is really, really important, getting a deliverable plan that has you know, the support of local people and local councillors, yeah. yeah. we don't have that actually, we won't be able to roll it out on the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's always that balance and the, you know, we are trying to push on you know, buses in particular very quickly. We're very clear that the BSIP is not a static document, it's not mm -hmm. like a white paper that just appears and everyone goes, oh, that's very lovely. We want BSIPs to come back every year and every year we'll be looking for improvements because I think that's how we get incremental change into our bus networks. And as Maria was pointing out, we don't quite know what life is going to look like. I wish I did. I mean, we used to roughly know what life is going to look like. We really don't now. If you look at bus ridership, uh, it's, it's hugely variable in different places. Um, I mean, I've just been talking to uh, the folk from Manchester, Andy Burnham and, and his team about what they're seeing on Metrolink. You know, different parts of the country are coming back at different sp speeds. And we also, also know some parts may not come back as they were before. So we do need to have a bit of flexibility, which will need agile local government in order to work with us so that we can fund the, the services that they want to provide. Thank you.
Yeah, I, I, one thing is, I, there's too many battles in this country which are based on division. And one thing that mustn't happen, but does risk happening, is a sort of north-south or midlands-south, or we, we also forget the southwest in this discussion. You know, when, when a new tube line opened in London the other day, partly paid for by the private sector, there was quite a lot on Twitter from various people saying, well, we don't get trade lines like that in the north. Now, there's truth to that, and we do need better infrastructure in the north, but we will not level up by challenging the good bits of the country, um, the bits that have got economic success, got infrastructure, busy, busy transport. And there is a danger we slide into a, a, a kind of, we must have it because somewhere else has got it, um, rather than thinking what actually functionally will be useful and better and used. Um, I once spent a wet afternoon working out that something like 95% of train tickets in Britain originated or finished in London. Now that isn't a good thing. We should use rail outside London more and we should support its growth. But there is a risk, you know, including with the white paper, that we slide into a kind of London's had its thing, now it's everywhere else. Actually, understand what's needed, find the gaps, look at the information, build the data knowledge, and then begin to plan what's required. Don't just announce stuff because it feels good to be announced. Which points to the role of national government while freeing up local areas to... Uh, to, to, to do and competitive yeah. local government as well, so powerful mayors battling, battling. I mean, we've seen that you know, much of the advance of the West Midlands is because Andy Street has been putting a really good case whilst working across parties. So he's, you know, he's 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 a, he's a model for what really can function and succeed. That's a really important part. If you if you have that, uh, you know, local leadership with that drive and ambition and plans to do things, let's give them the powers to get on and do it. And I, I totally back that. We're trying to do similar in Nottinghamshire and, yes. and a lot of councils are. You know, if we've got these proposals devolve us the budgets, give us the powers, and we will deliver it. It's not the case everywhere, uh, but certainly for a lot of places, I think you could leave us to get on with it and, and take it out of government's air. But it's also true that, you know, uh, we, we have nationally focused a lot on cities for a long time, and the whole kind of financial um, clout in terms of decision-making, where we're going to invest, is about bank the above, and it's always city centres. Mm -hmm. um, when you go out to a lot of the places that need the most support, certainly politically, you know, Red Wall kind of territory, they're not cities, they're towns. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're often very remote towns that aren't connected to places. And it is a very different solution. So the idea that you could impose something from London on a national level on a, a Mansfield or a, a working class town in the Midlands of the North just won't work. Mm -hmm. So we really do need that local clout to be able to decide. And do you think, particularly the two politicians on the uh, panel, and uh, Baroness Lee, you mentioned talking to Andy Burnham uh, and his team, do you think the party politics is going to get in the way of that? Or uh, do you think that... Um, uh, ministers, other politicians can reach beyond the party politics when you're talking about local mayors and, and, and regional leaders? I think we have to, and, and we do all the time. I mean, during, during COVID, I mean, I would speak to the Metro mayors um, very frequently to share ideas. I've never found that party politics gets in the way. Uh, you know, you have to se you have to separate two things. is you know, the works of government and the, and the meetings that you have with, with the Metro mayors with what they say in the newspapers. And just generally ignore what they say in the newspapers. That's not aimed at you. That is aimed at whatever trying to point they're trying to make it make to you. But actually, we have a really good relationship with them. Um, and as we, you know, head into spending review, and obviously we've asked the, um, the eight Metro mayors to come up with uh, CRSTS, which is another really good name that I didn't come up with, uh, which I can't even remember what it stands for. It's basically money for uh, Metro Mayors to build their local transport, sustainable transports in there somewhere. Um, but probably, it, probably integrated as well. There's no I. I don't know That's what part. I'm going to Google this. This was my idea. Anyway, never mind. But, but it's a really, really important program. And, and I, you know, I was talking to his team about you know, what we want to see is we need to see ambition. We need to see integration. Uh, sometimes areas will overbid <coughs> by masses. That really is not helpful because then the Department for Transport has to try and scoop out which bits we can bid. And often, often you want the whole thing to work as a whole. So overbidding is, a, is not a good thing. Um, but we obviously will be getting those bids in, or are getting them in now, uh, head of spending review. Obviously, we, we very much hope that we will uh, be able to meet them in full. But, um, you know, we'll have to see. But... I take the point about investing in cities, and I agree with you, Ben. I've said this to my officials many, many times. But what about the places in between? Um, and we really do need to think really carefully about how we can support um, these really, really important towns, which you know so many people live and work in, uh, that, that I think don't have uh, the access. But we've also got to recognise that the big cities are economic powerhouses. You know, uh, funding transport to London. One of the things, obviously, I've had to do over the pandemic is give them four billion pounds. Um, and it's a lot of money, but you know what? They they really do have an enormous amount of uh, economic value added, and we need to keep London going. So, 
it is always that balance, but I'm very, very keen that we must make sure we focus on towns, but also rural areas as well. I mean, they've had a pretty, pretty rough time when it comes to public transport uh, and how we can support rural areas to develop uh, their public transport is also key. City, region, sustainable transport settlements. There you go. As Gladstone famously <laughs> said. In, uh, <laughs> uh, brilliant. I'm going to come to questions from uh, you now. Um, we'll see how many there are. May take three at a time. I think I will, because there looks to be quite a lot. Um, I think uh, at the back there you were uh, first. Thank you. Uh, Say who you are and, uh, and, your, and your question. Paul Sonny from the Centre of Cities. Ben, in the white paper, should we have a mayor for Greater Nottingham? Will you be? A nice, um, <laughs> nice simple, but, simple but difficult one. Uh, let's go to the gentleman there. Um, Chandela, Market Harbour. Um, simple example, Leicester City Centre, our train station. Our beloved mayor spent five million turning in into out and out into in. And now he's spending a further five million to do the same thing again. We cannot get a lorry into the city centre in a hurry to Granby Street to unload. And the town centre is experiencing what many town centres are with a vacuum of retailers. So from an infrastructure point of view, I'd like to take the train to London, but I prefer going to Market Harborough because I can get dropped off. Now, that is a practical problem for a commuter. Your thoughts, panel, please. Thank you very much. And one more, I will go to gentleman Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, Chris Mallison from PwC. Uh, whilst we're often seen as a London-centric business, actually half of our 22,000 staff are now based outside of London. And we're very committed as a firm to sort of supporting the regional rebalancing of the economy. One of the areas I'm most interested in the panel's thoughts on are the skills necessary to deliver the infrastructure and the transition to net zero over the next five to ten years and whether they are hoping that the white paper puts forward proposals and responsibilities at both a national local regional and private sector level to ensure that as we move forward the gaps that we saw when the government announced the green homes grant aren't repeated across the country great thank you very much so uh nice simple one first mayor of nottingham um we don't want a mayor of Nottingham. We would like lots of devolved powers in Nottingham. I'd like to do that without faffing around with structures and governance and whatever and just be able to do it, frankly. Uh, we spend more time talking about how we govern it than, than what we actually want to do and what we want to achieve. Um, we've put in a proposal, Nottinghamshire and Nottingham City, uh, which we put into MHCLG to say, actually, a lot of this, transport, skills, can we not deliver that locally exactly as I've just been talking about where we've got a plan. Um, I'd like to do it within the existing structure and just be able to work. It's really challenging in two tier areas as well with districts and counties. So that's the reason we've not been able to do that big East Midlands mayoralty to arrive on an Andy Street and to try and pull all of that together, which is a shame because I think that would be really positive and beneficial. Uh, but that requires lots, 27, I think, local leaders of different parties and persuasions to agree, which is just not going to happen. Um, so we are looking Nottinghamshire. I don't think it'll be a mayoralty. I would like <coughs> Um, uh, those powers devolve directly to, to the local authorities that already exist, so we can just get on with it. That's a good, clear answer. Um, uh, let's pick up on the uh, sort of integration and, uh, uh, and uh, mistakes that may or may not have been made around Leicester and Market uh, Harbour. Um, Maria, do you want to? Pick up so, on that? <laughs> from uh, I won't get into the locals uh, until the local politics. Uh, please, uh, I won't. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so, but, but I will say. Um, one of the things that Midlands can identify that east-west connectivity is pretty, pretty awful in the Midlands. So, for instance, two cities like Coventry and Leicester are very, very close, and yet there's no direct services. So, um, you know, only 1% of trips between those two cities are made by railway. So uh, capacity around the train railway stations is very important. We're also very keen to put more freight on the railways. So just to reassure you, the debate on Leicester and the importance of Leicester within the Midlands just the, you know, and also in relation to mm -hmm. Tolton and ATIS too, uh, remains um, at our heart because we were very keen to actually provide Leicester services to Leeds, to compatible services, for instance. So yeah, Leicester is increasingly becoming a pretty powerful sort of economic hub for the West Midlands uh, to link with. Um, so reassurance from a Midlands Connect perspective, 
we're doing all we can to make sure that Leicester works as an economic hub for the rest of the Midlands, not just Leicester itself. That city congestion is a problem everywhere, though. Yeah. Nottingham has mm -hmm. the same problem. And yeah. there's a question of, again, coming back to where do you invest? Mm -hmm. We That was part of the reason that Toten was a key part of the HS2 yeah. conversation, because we don't actually want to plough more people into city centres that are already congested. Why can't they get on the train to Birmingham or Manchester or wherever from elsewhere? Why can't we create a new hub uh, and build something um, that is perhaps planned out a little bit more sensibly and, and fit for, for the 21st century. So um, very much on the table, I hope. Yeah. Well, let's um, pick up that and then maybe move into the net zero. Uh, yeah, I mean, well. I, think, I think we were talking about certainty and, you know, funding certainty is, of course, really, really important. But one of the overlays that we have in all of this is uh, party politics uh, <laughs> and political certainty, um, um, unless you make me the benign dictator of, of the country. Unfortunately, party politics gets in, in the way. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we have to deal with the fact that a, a new political party will come in and look at the plans and say, actually, I hate that and it's rubbish. Um, and it could be that actually the local people didn't like it either. And that's why they voted in somebody else. I mean, I am in a situation now where, for example, I've given lots of money to a certain place which will remain nameless to put in bus lanes. Uh, it's changed. Uh, um, the leadership has now changed politically and they're ripping all out again. Well, I gave you that money and they've only been in for a year and I take them all out again. What do we do about that? And so therefore, when it comes back to, you know, governance and certainty around, you know, good value for money for the taxpayer, that's why actually we do have to have good governance structures and we do have to think about how we can, you know, pull back funds which is not being used in the way that it was intended in the first place. So obviously I can't uh, comment on Leicester. I do know that Leicester um, had uh, quite a significant amount of transport in the city's funding, which was really good. And I know they've got really good bus ambitions. So I'm looking forward to seeing something good from Leicester. Um, but there's always that overlay of sort of party politics, which is which is quite a challenge. Mm. Pressure's on, Leicester. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, net, net, net zero, and then, and then uh, uh, thoughts on how this investment could be used to uh, uh, support <laughs> net zero. Well, we could talk about this forever, <laughs> couldn't we? Um, but no, and, you know, net zero is, of course, absolutely critical that everything that we do within the department is through the lens of, of how are we going to get to, to net zero. And one of the challenges that we're going to face um, is uh, making sure that people use the right mode for the right journey. So uh, modal shift is all very well, but you can't force people to do what it's not convenient for them to do. And so if you're sitting in a traffic jam, you know, firstly, don't complain about it because you are traffic. Uh, but secondly, you know, if you see a nice, shiny, clean, green bus going sliding past you and gets to the destination 10 minutes before you do, that is the sort of behaviour that we uh, need to, to see so to encourage modal shift. So obviously, you know, we've got a huge opportunity uh, with the vehicle charging going in, um, but it has to work with the local area. And again, it has to fit into these wonderful integrated sexy local transport plans that I'm uh, expecting very soon. Brilliant. Julian. Very quickly, I won't go on too much about the middle of main line, which is my specialist mastermind yeah. subject, but it links exactly to net zero yeah. because right now we're electrifying the middle of main line to that well-known global metropolis, Market Harbour, yeah. uh, and not to Leicester. Now, I'm sure that's nothing to do with the fact that Neil is, is, is the MP for Market Harbour, but he'll be very <laughs> pleased with his electric train service. Um, we cannot meet net zero in anything other than, than meaningless verbiage unless we actually understand where the opportunities are, where we need to do things, where we need to change uh, infrastructure. If everywhere just starts individually spending money on different bits of plans all over the place, we'll sort of stagger towards an incoherent outcome that isn't joined up. So we need to begin with a plan as to what we really mean by decarbonisation, where the big bits of waste are, where the opportunities are. Now, there's a great plan from the DFT on decarbonisation, <laughs> which I've read, read several times. Um, it, it, it is a challenge, though, to see whether that is actually going to be applied across what really happens, um, because we can't decarbonise everything immediately. We can't spend money on everything immediately. We need to see where the opportunities are and make the most of the stuff we're already starting to do. So a very basic point would be to extend electrification, therefore low carbon, from Market Harbour to Leicester, which is not very far, uh, and then keep going keep over going time and make a plan for it. But, but don't, don't expect each individual bit of transport or beyond to meet decarbonisation on its own by trying, trying to do everything all at once, and then asking government to pay for it all, because government quite rightly can't pay for it all at once. You can drive the private sector involvement in that. I, it's, I mean, we're talking infrastructure, it's not all transport, right? So there is, um, brings you back to development corporation yep. conversation, which always everything always brings you back to these kind of three or four uh, local priorities. But where you've got examples like that, the whole point of that uh, as a premise is that you can take sites in areas like the East Midlands, you can um, map out a kind of environmental standard that's required. You can build in the, the premise of how you're going to create those skills in the local area. You can have... Um, you know, a requirement that it's got a kind of closed loop 
energy on site where the waste from the businesses is creating the energy that powers the businesses, really future-facing stuff. We don't need to pay for all that. The private sector will do it. We just need to, again, have the right mechanisms and the right permission in some ways to, to get on with it. And, and business will put that infrastructure in place for us. Maria, then more questions. Yeah, so I will make that net zero agenda linked with the skills agenda in the Midlands. This is really, you know, to your point, we have got the biggest rail supply sort of clustered up uh, in Europe, in the Midlands, uh, around Derby, actually. That's when we actually want DBR, the great British railway, to be based in Derby, just so I, I, I dropped that one in there. Um, <laughs> but but uh, there, is, there is a huge appetite. The industry, the rail industry, for instance, has made it very clear. Electrification is a really good way to get to net zero when it comes to decarbonizing the railways. There needs to be a rolling program, so again, you can get the skills and the, the, the supply and the, and the business can plan. You know, skills don't happen overnight. And also, what I like about this is actually you creating a global presence of the UK expertise that you could actually export globally. And that's something that the Midlands in particular is very keen to, you know. Um, you, you, you don't look at it from a skills just to, for local, but actually to actually export uh, our skills and our competitiveness globally too, which is extremely important as the whole global competition on net zero and how you bring in the best. So this is another element, skills, global um, stage and competition. That's very, very important for the Midlands. Brilliant, outward, outward looking. More questions. Let's go to the lady there in black. Thanks very much. I'm Kate Willard. I'm chair of the Thames Estuary Growth Board, a government-backed newest growth corridor in the UK. Um, <clears throat> I'm responding to the things that a number of people said on the panel, which I think were really interesting. One, the point that you made, Julian, about levelling up isn't about the north. We've got quite a north-centred panel, completely get that. We've got a huge number of very, very deprived boroughs in the estuary, Some of which, are, a number of which are in the, the, the priority uh, one boroughs for, for government to sort out. But equally, the point you made, Julian, we're also an economic powerhouse unparalleled international connectivity through the Freeport, et cetera, et cetera. So again, to come to your point, Baronosphere, if it's not joined up, it's not going to work anyway. So we've got projects on our books to unlock housing, to unlock growth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the issue for me is this. We're a private sector growth board, and therefore we are bringing forward predominantly private sector investment to sort transport infrastructure issues. And one of the problems that we're having, so we're putting in place a hydrogen ecosystem around the estuary to predominantly fuel back to base HGVs, taste, so we're taking trucks off the road, and also to lift cars and vehicles off the road and put it on clean vessels on the river. So quite straightforward, but obviously we need to sort that supply and demand for hydrogen. The issue is this for me, we're speaking to investors at the moment worth something in the region of 11 trillion. That's great news, isn't it? Let's, great, let's get that investment on the table. One of the things that we're having struggles with is joining up parts of government to have those single, yeah, exactly, have those single conversations. Now, we always say it, don't we, a conference, can government please get out of silos and get joined up? But actually, this, is, it, this isn't a question specific question to you, Baroness Fear. And um, I'd really like to have a conversation which involves, as a minimum, Department for International Trade, Bays, and Department for Transport on hydrogen inward investment. If we can have the conversation, we can unlock the investment. So it's just a simple request. That Just that simple, Baroness Fear. Thank you. Brilliant, thank you. And that is a fantastically IFG subject as well. So uh, we, we like that, the uh, joining up government. A couple more questions, and then I will come to Baroness Fear on that's the gentleman behind uh, who's just asked. Thank you. Uh, Janesh Patel from City Fibre. Um, and the, my question is actually related to the role of yeah, different infrastructures. So um, you mentioned electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Um, my company is involved in kind of broadband infrastructure, digital infrastructure. Um, and I'm just wondering how they all join up because, you know, we have to, as a company, dig up roads and pavements to put the cables in. The electric vehicle charging company's private money is going to have to dig up roads and put their charges in. So I wonder how that relationship with government can work better so that you unlock a lot of private sector investment because a lot of the plans usually from DFT are about public money, but we need to bring in lots and lots of private money. Brilliant, thank you. Good good uh, theme emerging there. And then one of the two uh, on, on the end there. Uh, afternoon, uh, Mark Simmons from the British Ports Association. Um, our members invest hundreds of millions of private uh, capital into infrastructure every year and depend on uh, the public investment as well. Um, my question to everyone on the panel is, do you think the planning system works well enough to support our shared ambitions or, and does it work quickly enough to, to support those ambitions? Brilliant, thank you. And I will do one more round of questions in a minute, so, so there will be a final uh, chance. So yeah, a sort of a joining up theme there, but let's start with the one specifically directed to you, Baroness Fiat. 
Um, uh, hydrogen in the investment private sector, joining up government. I think, I think we, we talk more than you think we do. I don't think it's perfect, though. I really don't. And particularly where um, hydrogen is concerned, because hydrogen doesn't work for one thing only. It only works if you do bring together everything. So we are very mindful of that. Um, but I think the good thing is, is that uh, we're on a journey with hydrogen. The government is very keen to support it. We do want to see uh, how it can take things forward, particularly on, for example, HGVs, um, also on buses, um, and then, of course, using it for other to decarbonise other, other parts of um, the economy. Uh, but I'll take your point away and just sort of generally mull it. But I do think, I, I agree, we, we do need to do a bit more around joining up uh, the, the hydrogen stuff. And I also agree is that levelling up is not just the north. I mean, you know, goodness gracious, we can think of all sorts of places that really do need investment. Um, and I think what will be quite interesting is when we've got, when we publish the successful bits from the first round of the levelling up fund, um, I think, you know, one of the challenges that the levelling up fund has had is that, you know, it, it wants things to happen very quickly because government always wants things to happen very quickly. And guess what? People don't have a whole bunch of transport bits sitting in a cupboard somewhere that they can just pull off and just go, bang, here it is. So, um, you know, what I will be looking very much at is to, to learn as much as I can from the transport bits from this round of levelling up such we can feed that into the next round to get it more effectively. And hopefully local uh, authorities will have already started their thinking about their next bits to make sure that we can, can level up all the parts of the country that need levelling up, not just the, the north and parts of the Midlands. Um, on the point about digging up roads, yes, I know, I get really annoyed when people dig up my roads, <laughs> but I really recognise it's really important and we have to do it as efficiently as possible, which is why the government put in Street Manager, which is this digital system so people can actually uh, do it all digitally. It's taken out some of the pain. Uh, I want to do something on TRO so that we don't uh, have to have all this great big um, you know, uh, time to publish things. And, you, know, you still have to publish the notice in, in, a, in, a, in a regional newspaper. That's, that can be challenging and also very, very uh, uh, time uh, uh, sucking up. Um, and does the planning system work? Well, hmm, we could have a whole <laughs> question about that as well. Because the problem is with the planning system is that government keeps changing policy, which is really irritating for the planning system because the planning system then can't keep up. So, um, you know, the, the changes that you get on the planning system, the, the impact of the planning system is, is, is really good stuff around the environment, etc. But, but what it doesn't give you is a really uh, uh, um, solid and certain playing field. So one of the issues I have is DCOs. You know, I've got loads of roads that I, I want to enhance, um, but, but the environmental uh, policy is changing, carbon policy is changing, and you've got to kind of second guess what it's going to be like 18 months down the road when your DCO comes up for, for, for decision. So I think we do need to have a little bit more transparency in the planning system. Uh, I think it could be uh, more effective, but I think that that is a kettle of fish that I don't have to worry about. I'm just a user of it rather than a person who has decision making. Julian, why don't you pick up the, the planning point? Um, well, the planning and, and, and private money. I mean, I think the planning system in Britain is pretty good for big stuff. Um, most of the big stuff, you know, big ports, things have happened quite well and quite effectively, at least as effectively as some of our European competitors. If you look at Germany, it's really struggled with big infrastructure. So we shouldn't totally beat ourselves up. Often the discussion in Britain about planning <laughs> is really about housing and home building and links hugely to all sorts of cultural and emotional stuff about property ownership and, and landscapes. So I won't, I won't go into that. I think just on the private money point, there is a circular argument that goes around. There is a wall of money out there, people always say correctly, that could go into infrastructure if we could get it right. You know, private sector wants to fund, wants to build things. The government can never afford all of the things that it wants to do straight away. But there is a great difficulty about how you met sort of mix the public and private parts because as soon as it starts to get too too public it immediately goes on balance sheet and then the whole thing becomes pointless we saw with pfi early on uh, including under labor the labor party 20 30 years ago quite a lot of cash going in quite fast into lots of things defined by government paid for by the private sector including including roads um, often the government made the wrong choices it wasn't a great client the m25 um, pfi payments were where, you know, if only we could have all had a share of that, we wouldn't have had to go to work. Um, the government was paying a huge amount of money. But getting private cash in was a good thing. The PFI model sort of staggered to in an inevitable halt. But I think a thing that government should be doing now is working out how it can start to tap big sources of private cash into things that fit an overall strategy set by government where government might not be doing all of it. Um, how you answer that, how you meet treasury obligations, how you get flexibility into contracts is a thing that is yet to be determined. But if we can begin to get that right, we'll see all sorts of stuff happening, including you know, Nottinghamshire. Lots of great schemes could go underway if you could start to bring in money that didn't have to go through the Treasury. Because mm -hmm. it's quite striking today, all the conversation, inevitably, with the time of, of this meeting, is about the spending round. Will the Chancellor, will the Chief Secretary say yes or no? That's really important, but it shouldn't be the only source of money for all the good mm -hmm. things we're talking about today.
I, I will actually say that the Department for Transport is probably the most aware of the departments of that cross cross silo, you know, cross government sort of support. I think transport is always the agenda that says, ah, have you thought about this? Have you thought about, you know, we, we you know, if I go back to my example earlier of the work that we did on EV, you know, to your point, we actually identify how much private money is being spent on charging points in along the motorway, you know, because they know that economically those are viable, they get a return, but only a third of the people in the Midlands have got access to a private drive. So the charging point is going to be based on terrace houses or whatever. So then who's going to pay for that infrastructure and then how that links with the national grid? You know, this debate around is there enough energy in the future? So so it's transport that has actually leading the way and the, government, the Department for Transport have made it very clear. We need to really start engaging with other government departments to bring in our plans for delivery of digital and as well as EV infrastructure. Um, so you're absolutely right. When we plan for roads maintenance or new roads uh, investment, you bring in the digital, you bring in the energy debate. So you create smarter projects, and that's that's the future of transport. They're not going to be ever transport and isolation projects. They're going to now become smarter projects where you could bring in much bigger agenda and deliver much more effectively in that manner. Very exciting times, and as I said, the department is pretty good up in that space. Uh, I would say more than other government departments. Um, so. Uh, we will keep working with them. So, I would say. Vote of confidence in DFT. Yeah, um, yeah. Ben, how, how joined up does the government look to you and planning system? Um, I, there's certainly a, a challenge, not just in, in any of this, right? I've worked in, in, on kind of youth work for a long time, trying to get the DFE to talk to the Home Office, to talk to DCMS about all of the things that need to be done there. It's just <laughs> fall between the cracks all the time. So it's not unique to, to infrastructure. Um, but certainly, um, you know, I've, I've felt that the DFT and, and MHCLG in particular have been talking recently about jobs and economic growth off the back of transport projects um, have been really good and, and have worked together fairly well. Uh, maybe then there's the challenge of getting it into then <laughs> the, the town and the treasury and, and everything else, but it, it, it's certainly challenging. Um, uh, I think in terms of the planning system, there are all sorts of examples, not least the ones that I keep coming back to, of us trying to put together public-private partnerships to invest in infrastructure to get land ready for commercial use, to put um, some of that early work in that makes it viable and then makes it really investable for the private sector. Um, and there are all sorts of examples of that cropping up all over the place. It might be nice to have a consistent approach to that that we all understand, because at the minute we're all pulling up our ad hoc um, versions of, of whatever that may be. Um, and coming back to the kind of north-south point, I think uh, I'm very reticent to talk about north-south, not least because we're in the Midlands and, and the, you end up north. in this scenario <laughs> where um, everything's either in London or the new economic centre of the universe in Teesside um, and everybody else kind of gets a bit left out in the middle. But I, I think when you're talking infrastructure in particular, the real social divide for me or opportunity divide is actually a kind of towns and cities or rurals and cities where you've got that connectivity uh, broadband infrastructure, transport infrastructure in big urban centres that just doesn't exist when you come out into the sticks. And that's why people have less access to work, less access to skills and training uh, and often education. Uh, you know, that, to me, that's where the real divide is when it comes to infrastructure. Yeah. Different, more complex uh, yeah. divides. Final round of questions then. And there's a man waiting very patiently uh, there. Yeah, th thank you very much, uh, Richard Wiermouth. I'm the deputy leader in Northumberland, which is a bit outside the Midlands, but oh, forgive me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, thank you very much. I also sit on the uh, uh, North Town Combined Authority. Never thought I'd say this, um, coming to Manchester. Please listen to Andy Burnham regarding the uh, cost of the metro systems uh, that we have in a number of the northern cities. It's really going to be a little bit of a challenge uh, specific to, to those light rail networks um, and we're going to have to make some difficult decisions which is counterintuitive to, to levelling up. Uh, another bit as well, uh, for anyone who's speaking with people in government, uh, there's a lot of pressure on us to be forced into a particular regional geography in order to access transport funding. It's totally counterproductive really to what the government's wanting to do. So please can... Uh, we have some uh, sane words on on that uh, in in government. Uh, you know, let's we'll we'll find some mechanism, but let let's get the work done uh, regardless of uh, what uh, what the administration is. Um, and uh, then finally, and going to your question, what can infrastructure investment contribute to leveling up? Huge amounts. We've got some key junctions uh, on on our highways networks that. Highways England are busy putting in objections to planning applications for huge uh, projects to create jobs and investment. And it's purely because 
the bits of highways England don't link to DFT. They have, assume they have to have a direction from above in order to go, to go beyond RIS 1, 2, 3, and all this kind of thing. Sometimes things need to accelerate uh, beyond what's in a programme for 2030 or 20 whatever. Thank you. Thank you. Three questions in one there. So uh, may not may not need to get in it, but any, any final questions uh, or we can pick up those. No, brilliant. Well, I got the sense that a lot of that was directed at you, Baroness. Are you listening to Andy Burnham? Am I listening to Andy Burnham? Well, actually, I obviously just did so. listen to him this morning. So, uh, so yes, and actually, one of the points that that, that they raised was the um, issue with light rail. Um, as you know, I mean, the government has support, supported light rail all the way through the pandemic, and we have got certainty of funding to the end of this financial year. I can't say what's going to going to happen after that. Um, you know, obviously, it is a very uh, difficult situation, uh, and we'll just have to. Can't say spending review, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it, look, I mean, you know, I am actually a, a big supporter of light rail. I think it, it really does um, enhance a local area. Um, and if you know, if we could get something sorted for Leeds, I'd be happy. But who knows? Um, but uh, and the point about being forced into you know geographic, etc. I mean, I think we've sort of been around that. I mean. When I first took over the devolution brief, I was like, this is nuts. Have we done this to our country? This is mad. All these different areas having different powers, etc." <laughs> but it sort of works. And unless you do have really good sort of strategic geographic areas, which have been a really good uh, strategy for the future, um, I'm putting to side, you know, the political risk. It does help government to be able to provide a significant amount of money mm. and often transport goes way beyond the local transport authorities. So we really do need these areas to come together. If you really do all hate each other, then yeah, you know, we're not going to give you any money. You can find some other friends to play with. Um, but yeah, we do... The point being we have a, a, a joint transport committee yeah, of LA7 that could do the work yeah. uh, and would yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it will. I'll let me think about that. Yeah. Sort of take away. Think about that. And then you've got you've got a beef with national highways because remember we changed the name over some of highways. You've got a beef with, with with national highways. Now, I mean, the one good thing um, there's many good things about national highways actually, and I think they they do they do a great job in, in what they do. I mean, our strategic roads are absolutely critical to particularly moving to freight and also people as well. I mean, one of the things that we used to do was sort of turn the taps on and off. Uh, with strategic roads, and that was a very bad thing. Yeah. So, and I know sometimes it's, it can feel frustrating because we do set out five-year plans, um, and obviously deliverability of those plans is really, really important. So, we're going through the system. We've just started the process for RIS three, which will start in 2025. And again, a really good opportunity for local leaders, local individuals, anyone can feed into the RIS three process. Um, but you know, in order to get the capital efficiencies that we need to prove to the ORR and that the Treasury wants to be to see. We have to have a really good program such that the supply chain can move from one place to another and it just works and it gets better value for taxpayer. So sometimes I know it can feel like, you know, these sorts of major transport, uh, these, these major road projects take forever. Trust me, I'd like to get them all built tomorrow. Um, but they do have to go through the processes because what is happening more often than previously is we have a lot of JR risk um, and that can hold up projects for a very, very long time. So that the process has to be absolutely nailed on. All the consultations have to be done. They do take a long period of time. But once they're in the system, unless they turn out to be basket case projects, and sometimes they do as you take something through to development, I'd prefer to leave them in the system and then take you know more development as it comes in. Thank you. You've, you've definitely sung for your supper or your lunch. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, thank you very much, Francis. <laughs> I'm going to give the rest of the panel a final um, uh, chance to, um, uh, to respond to any of those uh, questions or to... Uh, Chuck, any final thoughts going across like um, uh, this? Uh, and that was to criticism, by the way. In terms of seeing for supper. Uh, I'll shut up. Uh, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd just like to say that, you know, there is a lot of conversations on the moment on infrastructure in terms of do we need still big infrastructure projects or do is it? I think we, we need to stop that. I think we're going to just have to be much more smarter about what's needed where to the point that Lou was saying about data and understanding. Um, I think at the moment <coughs> what we need the most is clarity and you know your point earlier it's if government gives us that certainty of rolling program uh, activity and this is why it's so important at the moment just so you know repeating it 400 times what we want to know is what's going to happen to HS2 in the in the East Midlands um, do not underestimate how important that is for, for, for the Midlands because a lot of our rail program 
is based on what you do with the release capacity of HS2. It's not just about HS2 itself. So really important, exciting times for transport. And uh, I'm just delighted that I'm in this debate because um, transport, I think, if anything, is going to become even more important moving forward. Thanks, Maria. I think that's true. Um, as Maria said, there's lots of, of positive stuff, I hope, happening um, in government over the course of this autumn in terms of what infrastructure is going to come forward through the spending review, through the integrated rail plan. Uh, and frankly, is it, as we've discussed, going to be something imposed from the top down or something that takes into account those local and regional priorities that we've fed in and, uh, and connects our, our region together as well as the north to the south? You know, So it's a really interesting time uh, and hugely important. And I think if we're going to deliver on the wider levelling up agenda, that's a massive, massive part of it. There are programmes there uh, that will be decided this autumn that will uh, are 10, 20, 30 years into the future. We'll be working on them for that whole period. And, uh, you know, that ultimately is, is going to decide whether we can have this impact or not. But there's also a big piece of work to be done. Uh, let's not forget, you know, infrastructure is more than, than our transport links um, around the skills uh, to be able to, to access all this, to be able to access jobs, to be able to create jobs in some of these places, transport, uh, and unlocking our transport can open up those sites for development, those commercial sites, that private sector investment. So there's a huge amount to this uh, that all needs to be joined up mm. in government. And we've touched on that challenge uh, already. But, you know, I'm, I'm hugely excited about the opportunity uh, and the white paper and the chance to tie all this into something long term and coherent. I uh, just hope we, we take it. Brilliant. Uh, note of uh, justified optimism there. Uh, thank you. And Julian. Uh, the other glamorous end of transport, don't just think about new stuff and capital spending, yeah. uh, think about maintenance and yeah. the Smart boring yeah. resource money that goes into potholes. You know, yeah. All, yeah. all conversations yeah. about transport yeah. should end with a discussion of potholes, because yeah. uh, it's really, really <laughs> terrible in this country. Yeah. Our road services on most of our road network are really poor. The government has a, a really great plan uh, to think about a major road network, so not just think about the strategic uh, national highways network, but the important roads underneath which carry much of the traffic um, start to make that real start to think about how you can build knowledge together to make things like that function and how you can keep maintaining and fixing and paying for the stuff we've already got uh, that applies to light rail as much as anything else almost all new big transport schemes opened in this country will in some form be loss making so the treasury is always scared of new stuff because it knows it'll have to pay the bill afterwards um, but those bills matter it goes all the way down to buses as well um, keeping what we've got at high quality, optimal performance is just as important as yeah. tomorrow's big scheme. Brilliant, thank you. And uh, not just potholes, but a sort of rousing uh, note to, uh, to end on. So thank you. Um, uh, there will be a record of uh, this discussion on the uh, IFG uh, website. So if you want to revisit anything, um, uh, do keep an eye out for that uh, in the next day or so. Uh, three sets of thanks. First to Midlands Connect for um, uh, partnering with us on this event. Um, secondly, to all of you for coming along and uh, for some really uh, brilliant, interesting questions. And finally, to a uh, fantastic panel. Thank you all so much for, uh, uh, for sharing your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the day.